Deciding to work as a freelance B2B writer or taking a full-time position in-house seems like it's about one person, you, the writer. But answering that question is about more than just you. It's about how you help the people on the other side of the table. Today, we're telling what should be a familiar story by now. Someone who's had a wonderfully successful career in B2B writing who did not start out with that plan. I didn't have anything on my resume except for journalism experience in the newspaper in college. So I went on Craigslist and I found this thing that was called a B2B SaaS company, you know, two foreign words to my vocabulary. Welcome to B2B Craftworks, a podcast about business writing. In this season, we're exploring power in B2B writing and how learning more about marketing and taking more responsibility for the marketing side of your writing can help you become a better writer and have more power in your writing career. Today, we're talking to Jesse Butts, a content marketing and strategy consultant. This is the story of what Jesse has learned by sitting on both sides of the table as a marketer and a B2B writer. They needed help with technical writing and pretty basic technical writing, user things of that nature. I started working for them on the side and it was probably putting in 20 to 30 hours a week on top of my full-time job. And it only worked because I, A, had no life and B, my full-time job was very easy. The work he was coming from was not exactly cutting edge. Jesse put content on CD-ROMs. Yes, you heard that right. This is going to sound ancient to a lot of your readers. I was copying and pasting content from various federal agency websites, bank regulators, things like this into our format, which was in a markup language called SGML, which is standard general markup language. I spent my time working on these publications that were shipped on CD-ROM. So if you ever see an old movie with, uh, set in a, with a scene in a law firm and there's tons of binders behind them, that's what the company I worked for did. So no, B2B SaaS writing wasn't a direct career transition, but as it turned out, he was right to follow his instincts, even if his instincts were a bit presumptuous. I certainly had no idea what business-to-business marketing was, at least beyond some of these bank trade magazines where I saw ads for our banking compliance library. But I started looking in earnest again for a new job about at the six-month mark. I almost can't even believe my audacity at that age, but you know, that's youth. I I told my contact, I I like doing this, but there's got to be something where we can get this, you know, to 10 or 15 more hours a week. So this can be a full-time job. I, I just, you know, can't do this any further. Most writers see jobs in the business space as inflexible, immovable things, intentional, strategic things. Surely businesses bring on a writer when they have a clear need, a careful onboarding process, and plenty of time to train them, right? Well, while that might be the case for some businesses, that was not the case for Jesse's break into full-time B2B writing. And again, you know, my naivete that, oh, you know, when you take on a full employee, you incur all these extra costs. I had no clue about any of this. I mentioned that to this person who was basically the head of professional services. And he talked to the new VP of marketing who had started maybe four weeks before that. And I met with that person and he was, of course, swamped and inundated. He's like, so I hear you, right? And I said, yeah. And he gave me a few assignments and he saw some promise in those. I I mean, I made plenty of rookie mistakes, but I pointed out some things and within a month, he made me an offer to join the marketing department as a Marcom specialist. So where did that gumption to change come from? Was he up late studying about how much value he brought to the project? 
Was he strategizing and forcing his way into the company? No, he was just tired. I knew that I couldn't keep doing that balance. And I was really looking for something where I, I felt like I could move out on my own. It was really, you know, born out of frustration with my full-time job, but also that I, I liked the people and it was such a radically different environment. This is not a unique way to get into B2B writing and marketing. My story was similar. I was laid off and thrown to the wolves. Something about the way you're working right now has to break to push you out of your comfort zone because where you're uncomfortable is the only place you're going to grow. Sometimes you can make a career transition directly, swapping full-time position for full-time position, but sometimes you have to get started right where you are. Nobody owes you a full-time position in what you think you want to do or what you like. Don't be afraid of, of doing something on a contract basis, on a freelance basis to, to A, see if you even like it, but B, to build some rapport and some samples. When people do feel, and even maybe if you don't feel stuck, but you don't feel qualified, compensate for that. Looking for contract gigs is a great way and you might not make a lot at first, you're probably gonna make some missteps and that is the point. That's how we learn. When I asked Jesse to think about why that company took a chance on him, what they saw in him that made them say, okay, why not? It was all really basic. There wasn't this in-depth knowledge of B2B SaaS, this prolific writing ability or this perfect writing ability. No, it was his solid basics as an empathetic human being. Writing in-house may seem like it's about exceptional pros, but really it's about an exceptional understanding of the audience and the business. I, I sometimes go back on why did they just hire some 22 or 23 year old who only really say, I ran the school newspaper and I was an English major. but. Once they saw the work, they knew they had found somebody who, even though I didn't have the technical acumen, I could learn quickly and my work was quality. I was meeting my deadlines. I was asking the right questions. It wasn't so much like I'd gotten to the level where I was asking the really important questions that I would now about what does the user need? How is this filling that need? How can we serve them better? There was inklings of that, but I didn't position anything of like, I don't know how to do that, or I don't know how this works. It would be something like, hey, could somebody give me a 10 minute demo or really showing that I was looking for the solution. And, and two, since I had done that, you know, they were much more willing to introduce me to that VP of marketing, speak on my behalf and get me in full time. Here's one of the most surprising things you'll learn from Jesse today. Brands don't hire in-house writers because of the never-ending to-do list of content. No, they hire in-house writers when they don't have time to edit and manage that content. Writing B2B in-house, it seems like it's mainly about writing, but really it's about writing plus editing, plus project management, plus prioritization. When a company is looking at their content needs, often isn't the amount of content, the volume of the backlog that would lead one company to to sway them to in-house versus freelance. What I've seen, and I've experienced this as well, um, helping a client as their interim head of content and, and having hired, it's really the amount of work, the director, VP of marketing or content or communications is doing to keep the lights on. And really what that boils down to is you tend to hire an in-house writer when oddly enough, you really need them 
to handle the project management and the editing. So which do you prefer as a writer? That, along with the ever-present question of how much risk you're willing to take on with your income, is the question you need to answer. That's not unique to content, right? In so many functions, a position is created because the leader is spending too much time on tactical work. They say, I can't do this because I'm spending so much time writing, editing, and project managing. Let's bring in somebody to take that off my plate. When a freelancer comes into a situation like that, it's not 100% about the outcome of the work or even doing good work. Not really. It's about the physical discomfort and personal stress they're alleviating when they do that good work. The people who are reviewing this work, the directors, the VPs, they're doing it at eight or nine o'clock at night a lot of times. It, they can't fit into their day. If I go into something, if it's editing a blog post and I'm doing it eight or nine, I may be thinking I'll spend half an hour to an hour on it. If it sucks and I spend two or three hours at that time of night, I am... I am not happy. And that that is just the reality of the corporate world now is that there's never any time to do that type of stuff during nine to five hours. So if you want to get your foot in the door, whether that's freelance or with a full-time job, there's your first tip. Get into the mindset of the marketing executive who is sick and tired of working late nights. Someone saying like, hey, can you put me on a retainer? Or, hey, you know, like I, I'm available for 30 hours a week. Like I don't really care. I'm not here to, and I'm, I know that might sound harsh, but the hiring manager doesn't really care that much about your personal circumstances or desires. They care when it seems like those could align with their needs. The same people perspective shift happens with blog topics, which is a lesson you want to learn early on. Don't pitch things because it'd be fun to write about them. That barely works for B2C, let alone B2B. Pitch things because you know it will be helpful for the audience, or fall into an important part of the marketing funnel. If someone comes back to me or, or approaches me and, and says something along the line of, hey, writing X would be really fun. To me, that that's a very junior approach. There's a lot of things that would be fun to write, but that doesn't mean that it's a great use of our resources, whether that's time, budget, whatever. When a writer comes to me and says, hey, I know that the content strategy is X, your audience wants to know why. I think Z would be a great piece of content. I've done a little research. I took a look at the analytics. I have an interesting twist. What do you think of that? Now that is where you make real traction. That is where I bring you in as much as I can. That's where you have the position to say, I think I'm providing more value. Can we talk about my rate or my compensation, whatever? Now, if you are sitting here thinking, oh man, all I do is suggest articles I'd like to write. Do not be embarrassed about this. I have my own story and so does Jesse. I was definitely that writer who was in-house pitching my boss. This would be fun. This would be great. And she'd come back to me with how does it align to the strategy? What would it accomplish other than me just having something fun to write? So let's run a quick check. Let's pull the audience. Freelance or in-house? Hold your answer in your mind. Then consider Jesse's take that neither one is better or worse than the other. They're just different. You would think that the likely answer would be freelance, but if you don't structure your contract or engagement correctly, you could end up doing a lot of work that you might not be too interested in. With in-house, it's more likely that you'll have less control, and that's what I experienced, because business priorities change, and in a lot of areas, your job focus may change, and there's often very little that you can do about that. This is not the part of the show where we extol the unearthly benefits of freelancing, 
long brunches and aimless bookstore rambles in the middle of the day, while you take a break from rolling in all the cash you earn just for being yourself. No, but there are some practical benefits to freelancing that just suits different people better. Freelancing was that for Jesse. First, having more control over what he focused on, and second, building in as much variety as he wanted. One of the reasons that I went freelance is that as I was advancing and I was at the director level, I took a position where I was the director of digital for a company and I wasn't doing the work that I wanted to. I have enjoyed freelancing for the variety it affords. I can go from writing a writing something for a client or myself to thinking about my own strategy to thinking about a client strategy to managing the books in a day. And I, I love that variety. I've often joked that one of the things I did best as a director was approving invoices because I love distraction. That simple task of approving an invoice was wonderful because here was this concrete task, you did it and it was done and it felt like, oh, I accomplished something versus here's round 97 revisions of this strategy for an emerging market we're trying to, to tap into. Jesse also found that the old adage is true. You can often make change happen faster when you're making it happen from outside an organization instead of inside it. One of the other aspects that I've really enjoyed about the consulting lifestyle in particular is that you have a much stronger perception of expertise and authority than in-house. I can't tell you how many times where you've told your boss the same thing for a year, they bring in a consultant who says the exact same thing and then a week later it happens. It's not fair. I'll be the first to say that. It's totally unfair, but it's reality. So if you might want to move between in-house and freelance throughout the course of your career, what changes? What stays the same? Well, it all comes back to people. What you carry with you is empathy for your buyer, your client, because you've been there. I can talk to directors and VPs of marketing on their level because I get it. I know I'm one of 50 things they've got to do today. I know that they're not going to have a chance to look at my work until eight or nine o'clock. I know that they have big ambitions and we all start out with those, but, and I'm thinking of a client, for example, where I had, I, I wrote the copy for their site and I think we had something like, I would come up with several alternate call to action so they could do A-B testing for a number of, of the higher traffic pages on that site. It became pretty clear to me in the project that it was probably at least a year to 18 months out before they'd be doing anything like that. So I came to them and suggested, hey, I don't think this is actually what's valuable for you right now with this project, but it looks like there's really no one to actually proof all of this site or all of this content once it gets into the layout. Would you prefer that I did that for you? So arguably what I offered was less strategic, less valuable, but I knew that it was a gap and they're like, oh, that would be great. We, we don't have, we're swamped in-house and you know, we just, we need that done now. And I was happy to do it. No matter what your role, you need to be constantly digging into the relationships you're building, the promises you're making and meeting over and over again. Because not only does that make what you do fulfilling and worthwhile, why the heck would you write for someone if you don't want them to succeed, but it's also going to follow you as you build your career. And of course I have the stats to show what my work did, but after a while, once you start working for somebody you develop a relationship, they're going to 
kind of take it for granted that you're going to achieve the results. It's much more about the emotion. When, when someone asks, what did Jesse do for that, that client of mine? They're probably not ever going to bring up what I did to boost engagement, boost conversions, grow sessions. They're going to talk about, oh, Jesse came in and he just, he just took leadership of this. He owned it. He got us through COVID. We had to throw the playbook out the window and he was really flexible, really helped. Like, you know, when you work with Jesse, you don't have to worry about anything. And being able to provide that level to your buyer is what keeps them coming back. And when they move to another company, as everybody does, that's how you're going to get in with a whole new firm, make whole new contacts, et cetera. We often say that every freelance client is a paid internship in marketing and business. Well, this is where it happens. Taking projects one by one, learning how you actually fit into the puzzle piece that is B2B marketing and making the most magic happen is your training ground for building your business. In Jesse's case, he's learned that a lot of his value comes from being able to come in and not just do what he's been asked to do. He does that too, but he looks around at what else needs to be done. In pointing that out, he becomes much more than a simple writing task rabbit. He becomes a partner, contributor, a person who's really on your team and the team is the winning one. What a business should do and what a business needs are sometimes not the same. When someone, for example, goes to your house, they may compliment the paint you chose or how you, you framed the photos or the new front door you got. They're never going to compliment, well, maybe some weird father-in-law will compliment the strength of your foundation of your house, but that's essential. Every improvement in your house is null and void if it's going to cave in. And sometimes companies just have to, whether it's not addressed to begin with or things change, you have to come in there and fix the fundamentals. And that might not be what you started out with doing, but if you can perceive those and help, that's incredibly valuable. There are so many ways B2B writers can embody this approach to serving clients right now, whether it's being flexible about the scope of work during COVID or pointing out ways to push distribution and get more out of a blog post than the marketing manager plans on. These are the things you can do to elevate the value of what you bring to the table, whether you're freelance or in-house. Jesse Butts is a content marketing and strategy consultant who loves helping fellow writers understand the business of content. You can find him at jessebutts.com or on Twitter at Mr. Jesse Butts. For our next episode in about two weeks, we're talking with Christopher Gillespie, the editor-in-chief and co-founder of Fenwick, an upscale B2B marketing company. Stay tuned for that and keep writing.